What's up, guys? Welcome to episode two of Is This Too Niche? I'm Zoe. And I'm Jada, and we're your co-host. Today is our Halloween episode, so happy Halloween. This week's episode is covering a topic that is very close to home. Anyone in the town of Athens, whether you are a student or a resident of the town, is very familiar with the site known as the Ridges, an abandoned mental asylum from the Victorian era. In keeping up with the theme of Halloween, we thought we'd take a look at the disturbing history of the site and look into the possibly haunted suspicions surrounding it today. Before we get into it, there's a few things that I want to say. I'm super excited to present this information. Again, like we said, it's pretty close to home. We have a few important things to note before we get started. The first thing is that I wanted to throw out a content warning because some of the content covered this week might be a little bit upsetting. We're going to be touching on the history of the mentally ill and talking about some of the disturbing events that occurred over the course of history at the Ridges. Keep that in mind. I also wanted to say that it's important to note that the events that occurred at the Ridges represent a real side of history and it's important to remain respectful of the things that happened there and the people who went through what they did. So. When we get into the topic of possible hauntings, we're going to be looking at it from a few different perspectives, and uh, we do want to say that that's going to be like mostly speculation. But we also can't deny that the modern culture of Athens has been very much shaped by the ridges, so any of these like superstitions or myths are a part of the history of the site also. I'm going to kick us off to before the hospital was even there in the 1800s, mid-1800s, the Coons Family Spirit Rooms which were not where the asylum was, but they were in Athens County, which was something that I thought that they were exactly where the ridges were, but they were not. And I was already too far down this rabbit hole to get out, so we're talking about them. And no one talks about these spirit rooms. I've never heard of them. Yeah, and it's wild. It is. But before we even jump into the spirit rooms, we have to be taken to 1848 with the Fox Sisters. My last name, we could be related. (laughs) Just kidding. Their names were Leah, Kate, and Maggie Fox. Let me take you to Hydesville, New York on a late March day in 1848. It was in a farmhouse that the three Fox sisters lived in. Maggie, who was 14, Kate, who is 11. They both quickly interrupted a neighbor friend eager to share an odd and frightening phenomenon. They told the neighbor that every night around bedtime, they heard a series of bangs on the wall. They described the bangs as with an otherworldly intelligence. The neighbor who was skeptical went to the room to see for herself. In there, the Fox girls and the neighbor joined in the girls' room when Margaret Fox, their mother, began the demonstration. Now count five, the mother ordered, and the room was banged with five heavy thuds. Count fifteen, she then commanded, and it did. If you are an injured spirit, she continued, manifest it by three raps. And it did. Margaret Fox did not consider the fact that it was actually March 31st, one day before April Fool's, so it was possibly a prank by the two Fox sisters. Later on, the family abandoned their home and two sisters were sent to live with their older sister Leah in Rochester. During this time, the Finger Lakes region of New York State gave birth to both Mormonism and Millerism. Two community leaders, Isaac and Amy Post, were intrigued of the Fox sisters' story, and a rumor emerged that the spirit likely belonged to a peddler who had been murdered in the farmhouse five years prior. So a group of Rochester residents examined the cellar of the home and uncovered strands of hair and bone fragments. 
They then invited the girls back to the home to hopefully communicate with the ghost, and that's exactly what they did. They heard the distinct thumps under the floor again. Now, everyone believed that these girls were mediums, and this really kick-started their career in this spiritualism journey. Their story started being told, and the rumors spread like wildfire, and the Fox sisters ate it up. They embarked on a professional tour to spread word of the spirits, where they would hold sessions in hotel parlors, charging a $1 admission, which equates to around $38 today. They would gather around a large table and hold a seance to speak with spirits. Their show was taken to cities like Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. Their show did not go on forever, though. In October of 1888, the sisters actually were in a fight, and at the New York Academy of Music, Maggie said this in a speech. My sister Katie and I were very young when this horrible deception began. At night, when we went to bed, we used to tie an apple on a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. The sisters graduated from apple dropping to manipulating their knuckles, joints, and toes to making rapping sounds. A great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them, she explained. It is a very common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago when I lived in 42nd Street and I did some rappings for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. Of course, that was pure imagination. She then demonstrated to the whole crowd and proved to everyone in the audience that the Fox sisters were all a hoax. Later on, Maggie, who exploited the family business, became a spiritualism critic, which was really interesting. So basically, that was the first introduction to spiritualism in general, and it brought forth a lot of people, and it definitely had an impact on Athens. Yeah. So it's crazy that spiritualism was birthed from a complete hoax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. During the rise of spiritualism, home circles were all the rage. They were trying to make contact with the dead, and they are still used today in many different ways. A home circle is a seance held in a home with or without the services of a medium. They take place in a dark candlelit room where people crowd around, and after the final candle is blown, a presence is felt in the room, and a bodiless voice speaks. This specific technique was utilized by Jonathan Coons and his family. The Coons moved from Mount Nebo, where they made a living by farming, after they heard the Fox sisters' ability to communicate with the dead. It was believed that by talking through mediums to the dead, aspects of the afterlife in heaven could be revealed. Even though people see spiritualism as taboo, it was actually based off of Christianity and the afterlife and the possibility of heaven and hell. The Coons converted to spiritualism in early 1852, and he and his family spent six months privately developing their skill. Afterward, he was driven to make a home circle, and he built a log cabin meant for seances next to the family home. Sharon Hatfield, who wrote a book about all of these spirit rooms, said, A lot of people who went there were simply overjoyed because it felt like you had proof that you were immortal. It would change the way you lived the rest of your life. Wow. According to Hatfield, there were always about 20 people in the audience with the medium sitting at a table. 
Once a candle was blown out and the room was dark, a musical program began with multiple different instruments coming in throughout. Coons claimed the musicians were the spirits. The spirits would make a glowing set of hands appear, which would sometimes write out messages. Inspired by what the they saw, some of the Coons followers went home and duplicated the spirits' rooms in Chillicothe, Cleveland, Ohio, Indiana, and Massachusetts. Another family, the Tippies, who actually lived three miles from the Coons in Athens, replicated the spirit room. The spirit rooms were truly a family business. The oldest son of the Coons was the apparently the voice of the trumpet. Mm. So anytime the son wasn't there, the trumpet wouldn't make any sound. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of speculation about the spirit rooms of the Coons. In 1856, the Coons were accused of fraud, and it damaged their reputation so much they decided not to continue their business, and they moved to Illinois. So they did not have this business for a long time at all, Yeah. but it did make a big impact on Athens in yeah. general. Despite the possibility of fraudulence of the Coons family, Spirit Rooms, and the Fox Sisters, they were a huge part of the culture of Athens all around. Athens' history still attracts seekers of the paranormal and created this foundation for spiritual beings and stories told today. This spiritual history is super important when talking about the Athens Mental Health Center because even though it is enjoyable to hear the spooky ghost stories of the patients, we must acknowledge that these people were real people and we cannot take their humanity away from them. So speaking of Athens in the 19th century, I wanted to paint a bit of a picture of what the town looked like and the culture of the town a little bit before the establishment of the asylum and then go into the asylum. So Athens as a town seems to have been built up around the college, which opened in 1804, as we know. It seemed like the town kind of for about 60 or so years was developing around that school. However, in 18... 68, the Athens Lunatic Asylum, which is the Ridges, was officially built, and from 1874 to 1993, it functioned as an asylum. The complex included 78 buildings, and it was just almost self-sustainable. It had farms, cemeteries, greenhouses, like all kinds of stuff that the patients basically operated, but we'll get into that. The first person admitted was a 14-year-old that had epilepsy. Her parents actually thought she was possessed by a demon and wanted to lock her away. So it's pretty well known that mental illness was not well understood at all in the 19th century. Um, But at this time, there was a rising like social concern. I say that with quotation marks for the mentally ill. It became like it made you seem like progressive and caring to advocate for the mentally ill. Because of this, there was... A bunch of institutions sprung up all around the country, one of those being the Athens Lunatic Asylum. I wanted to know what about Athens specifically warranted the need for an asylum, but I unfortunately couldn't find anything. But in terms of like what was going on at the asylum, there was like a whole list of conditions and it was pretty easy to get someone admitted into the asylum. Yeah, I have a few to list off. They Mm. would basically put anyone with or without mental illness as we know it today into the asylum because of that knowledge Mm -hmm. that they didn't have. Some examples are menopause, Mm -hmm. asthma, alcohol abuse. A lot of patients had PTSD, Mm -hmm. and they would even put people in the hospital for masturbation. It was actually one of the number one causes or number one reasons that people were there. Yeah, 
And mostly um, there were a lot of Civil War veterans yeah. that were suffering from PTSD. One that I found interesting was just like plain old menstruation. Yeah. Not just menopause. Yeah. Angsty teenagers, homeless people, elderly people, and even violent criminals. They also treated people who were ill with tuberculosis. And something ironic that I found was that one of the buildings that was specifically meant to treat people with lung-related issues was just completely overrun with asbestos. Yeah. So it really gives you a like look into the extent to which these practices were not helpful at all. Yeah, even there were a lot of um, lobotomies that were yes, performed there. I'm going to get into that Good. in just a minute. Good. So interestingly enough, the Athens Lunatic Asylum was one of the top employers in the state. But because of this, because of this like mass hiring, people who worked there were not really all that experienced. Like you said, lobotomies do not make a good combination yes. with inexperienced people. So one of the leading doctors at the time, and this kind of goes into how there was the popularization of mental institutions, but one of the leading doctors at the time was named Dr. Thomas Kirkbride, and he had a method called like the Kirkbride method of treatment. It was supposedly based off of like moral treatment, but I mean, you can decide on that for yourself. But his practices were very, very heavily applied to the Athens Lunatic Asylum. His philosophy is reflected in a lot of things today. Like we can see the architecture of the asylum actually reflects this because there was an abundance of light and space within the building, which, you know, is supposed to calm the patients. That's reasonable. It gets a little bit worse though. He encouraged, and by encouraged, I mean forced, patients to spend time outdoors in this like ecotherapy kind of treatment so by treating them he would just have them perform chores manual labor you know work the farmland do things like that but wow that sounds fun (laughs) healing no but in recent years this specific practice has actually been you know made illegal because you can't force people to do labor without paying them but of course at the time in the 1800s that didn't really matter so Again, like I said, those were his more tame treatments. It got it gets it gets much worse. So, in a very one flew over the cuckoo's nest esque turn of events, his main thing was lobotomies. Dangerous enough and cruel beyond measure, but especially yeah. when performed by people who don't know what they're doing, unbelievable. Hydrotherapy I found interesting because it's basically forcing the patients to bathe in temperatures either extreme cold or extreme heat. I don't really know what it was supposed to do. I'm sure they had a reason. Definitely wasn't helpful, though. (laughs) Electroshock, which is also very one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and psychotropic drugs. That's what the Kirkwood method encompasses. But on top of that, there was and still is a huge stigma regarding mental illness. But at this time, even like having someone in your family who was institutionalized was a huge like Mm -hmm. embarrassment, you know? So Kirkbride basically made it so that patients were completely cut off from their families once they were admitted which is why today if you go to the asylum you can visit the cemeteries and pretty much all the graves remain unmarked or marked by just a simple number so that's the way things went for a while in more recent years and by this i mean like the past 50 years there were two major like events or important notable patients at the asylum In 1977, there was a patient named Billy Milligan, and he was admitted as a multiple personality rapist. He apparently had, I think, 25 personalities, and they led him to do some questionable things, of course. But just a year after the Billy Milligan incident, 
1978, an even more interesting and deeply disturbing event took place. There was a woman admitted to the facility for a while, and at the time that she was admitted, she was 53. She was a mother and a wife. She was also mute and deaf. Her name was Margaret Schilling. She disappeared from the asylum in December. About six weeks later in January, her body was found in the top floor of a building on the premises called Building 20. At this point of the building, she didn't have any access to heat. So, you know, it's January. That does not make a good combination. So when they found her, she was not wearing any clothes. Her clothes were actually folded neatly nearby. And it seems like she went into cardiac arrest or some kind of heart failure because of the cold. And these circumstances are of her death are incredibly curious and equally devastating. And I'm not going to go into the theories of her death because they're, A, prying into something that is obviously traumatic and all based off rumors. And some of them are just, just not, not worth getting into because, like I said, that, you know, rumor-esque kind of narrative It's devastating to think of a woman who was mistreated and abused by the system of institutionalization only to die and become the subject of stories and myths. But I will admit the curiosity around her story is justified and one of the big reasons is because to this day you can actually see a stain that her body left on the floor of the building where she died. This stain is one of the biggest reasons that, like, the ridges are known. Like, anyone here will tell you, like, oh, the body stain. And it actually still remains to this day. Like, you can still see it. We included a picture on the Instagram. And, again, if that is not your cup of tea, content warning. But if you want to see it, go for it. Yeah. I've heard also that they have, like, every time they try and, like, mop it up, it stays. Yeah. One of the sources I looked at said that the reason was because, like, her body fat decomposed in a way that it turned into soap. I'm not sure if, I mean, that could be what happened and it stained the floor. But regardless, it's it's pretty morbid. And I personally am a bit of a skeptic. But a lot of people report seeing her go specifically, like, in the window of the building where she died. I don't know the validity of that, but... It's super important to remember that, yes, it's a really interesting myth yeah. or legend, but she also was a human. Yeah. And people today in the town knew her or worked with her still because this only happened in 78. So yeah. Not that much time has passed in the relative scheme of things. Yeah, exactly. One wild interesting thing about the asylum, actually, I... I read was that one of the doctors brought an alligator from Florida and put it in the fountain. That is all I have about the alligator in the fountain, but it's really a bizarre thing to see in Ohio. And yeah, it was just super bizarre. And there is a picture on our Instagram at is this to niche underscore podcast. Yep. So as mental health became nationally deinstitutionalized in the late 20th century, the asylum finally stopped functioning in 1993. Today, it is known as the Ridges, which is actually a name given to it in a like name contest. And it's a staple of the Athens culture in so many ways. I mean, it overlooks the campus and the town, and it's really like a short hike up there. And it's just, it is, has, has a very culturally significant presence. Definitely. Yeah. And today it functions as the Kennedy Art Museum, and the property is owned by the school now. 
Not only is it the Kennedy Art Museum, there it's also a, there's a lot of art studios in there for students getting their masters, which is something that I really want to do. Yeah, that'd be cool. It would be really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. There's also a mini golf course, a ropes course. There's the Dairy Barn that was owned by the asylum. There's many cemeteries and even an observatory. And I'm sure there is more that I've missed. Yeah, as I said, the remains of the asylum are a huge part of the culture of Athens. Like any college bookstore here you can find, it has merch for the ridges or even other kinds of like small town legends, which is what I want to talk about briefly before we get into rumors about hauntings in Athens. Considering the small town Appalachian culture of Athens, it makes sense that urban legends and ghost stories would thrive and have a big appeal here. But are the ridges really haunted? Personally, I'm a bit of a skeptic, but... I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, but we'll get into that in the next bit. And like I said, urban legends exist and are very, like, much ingrained in the culture of Appalachia. Bigfoot and Mothman are two that come to mind. And Mothman is especially big in Athens. I'm sure Jada has something to say about her encounter with Mothman. I I love Mothman. I've never encountered him. His statue. Oh, oh my gosh. I have encountered the statue of Mothman, and he has a juicy, juicy... Ass. Ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're getting away from the point. What I mean to be saying is that In a small Appalachian town like Athens, urban legends are a huge part of the culture. They intermingle with the history of the town, thus the ridges. So I don't think it's necessarily inappropriate to entertain ghost stories and superstitions regarding the area. Of course, there's a level of appropriateness with which you can go about Mm -hmm. with these ghost stories. But, you know, like I said, it's a part of the culture. And who am I to deny the ghost stories. So on yeah. that note, Jade is going to tell us some specific haunted history. Of yeah, Athens. and some legends around Athens. The first one I'm going to jump into is that all the cemeteries in Athens create the shape of a pentagram when they oh, are wow. all connected. That's cool. Which Doug McCabe, one of OU's curator of manuscripts at the Mon Center, said, like playing connect the dots you can draw anything you want so it's it's an interesting thing and he says that because there are more than 50 cemeteries so Mm -hmm. you could really make any shape you want but it does make a pentagram when you look at it we'll probably have a picture on our instagram of that too there is a ghostly buffalo at stroud's run Okay. Which I haven't been to Shad's Run yet, yet, but yeah, if I see a ghostly buffalo, I'm going to (laughs) be really excited. It says, a ghostly buffalo has been seen drinking from the stream at Shad's Run. The buffalo, later named Stroud, was the last wild buffalo in the area. A law was passed that stated no one could kill Stroud, but some members of either the British or French army killed the buffalo anyways. Locals murdered those responsible while they were sleeping at their camp one local took the buffalo skull hid the army's money in it and buried it nearby wow the skull nor the buried treasure have ever been found okay weekend plans yeah we're gonna (laughs) go find the buried treasure that's insane probably like two dollars in modern day currency yeah but still super cool yeah there's a cemetery on west state street This entire cemetery is believed to be haunted by many of the souls whose bodies were buried there, 
A large angel statue near the entrance of the cemetery is said to move and frequently shed tears. The angel is placed in remembrance of the unknown soldiers buried in the cemetery. And then on U.S. Route 50, three eyewitnesses observed an enormous UFO while traveling in their van along U.S. Route 50 just outside of Athens in 1983. Were they on anything? I have I can <laughs> neither deny nor approve of that. So. The three claimed to have been energized for hours after the sighting. Okay, so confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I think we know the answer now. It's okay. Yeah. Aliens are real, though. So. That was a lot. I've seen a UFO. Have you really? It might have been a frisbee. Well, then, in that case, I've seen a UFO, too. It was a frisbee. Oh. Okay, I'm going to go into a few of the ghost stories on from the most reliable source, Reddit. Mm-hmm. Ghost stories of Athens. One of the craziest ghost stories, which I'm not going to say any names, but this is also from Reddit, and I didn't get their username. Sorry, person from Reddit, but let me read. This case begins in the 1970s when a student of Ohio University died of mysterious circumstances in room 428 of Wilson Hall. After her death, there were several reports of noises as though a person was in the room when it was empty. Also, objects would move and relocate to other places on their own. And in extreme cases, objects would fly across the room and shatter against the walls. After a time, a female resident moved into room 428. She was said to have interest with communicating with the dead. It was said that she was attempting to draw on the spiritual power of the room to aid her in her efforts, to speak to those who have passed on. Legend has it that she also perished in room 428 in a terrible way. After her death, the door to room 428 was sealed, and no students have been permitted to live in the room since. However, the rest of the residence hall remains active and is inhabited by students today. Students to this day who reside in Wilson Hall report unusual paranormal activities, such as hearing marble roll across the floor on the ceiling above them, which is a weird occurrence that was reported a lot in Reddit. Hmm. In addition, they report seeing the face of a demon on the floor of 428, which makes me think of... You know when, like, wood doors have that grainy look and you can, like, find pictures in it? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking they were doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what they meant by that, but... Anyways. Although the door had been replaced many times, legend has it that the face always returns. As recently as 2019, there are still ongoing reports of paranormal activity as well as many disturbing accounts of students perishing in an unusual or unexplained way. That is... The Wilson Hall Poltergeist, room 428. Okay, so let's go to the next Reddit story. <laughs> this one's pretty funny. This is from Furtmort from Reddit. They say, One time freshman year, we were all playing with a Ouija board, and I secretly kicked the fridge to knock something over at one point. Everyone got insanely freaked out. So all of these people in my dorm think that OU's haunted, but it was actually just me. It's pretty funny. Something I would do. Yeah. Paper Ducky of Reddit said, I lived in Washington Hall on East Green my freshman year, and both of my roommates swore the dorm was haunted. The first roommate I had told me that the room was haunted after she had been woken up from a nap by something whispering in her ear. She also told me that she had 
some we she had seen some weird shadows. The second roommate I had in the same room never knew or even spoke to my first roommate, and I never told her about my first roommate's experience. The second roommate also told me the room was haunted after she had woken up by someone whispering in her ear in the middle of the night. I never had any especially creepy experiences in that room, but I would occasionally hear what sounded like billiard balls being dropped on the ceiling. I'm told this is a common paranormal occurrence in Washington Hall. From this I cannot forgive, from Reddit, they say this started about two weeks ago on two consecutive nights at about 2.30 a.m., her and her roommate, referring to his daughter, heard something large and metallic drop in their room. The sound didn't come from outside. They both got up and searched the room for the source, but couldn't find anything out of place. The next night, she's lying in bed and starts to hear a rapid, raspy breath about one foot in front of her face. She sits up and asks her roommate, why is she breathing like that? And her roommate says she hears it too, but it isn't her. As soon as they started talking, the sound went away. After that, they would go to sleep with the lights on and the TV playing. Nothing happened until tonight. Her roommate was asleep, and she was working on a paper in bed on her laptop. The room was dark except for the light from her laptop. She said she closed the laptop to go to sleep, and as she laid back in her bed, she felt the bed depress, and a hand, she could feel fingers and a palm, grabbed her hip. Mm -mm. She screamed and jumped out of bed, turned on all the lights, but nothing was there. She called me crying hysterically. She doesn't know what to do. Her roommate was more spooked out than her. She said she always feels eyes on her. I don't even want to know what dorm that took place in. Yeah, I actually don't know. So let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. From Trogue Adorable 22, they said, There's a ghost at Voight Hall that apparently sings in the kitchen, will lightly tug on your hair, sit on your bed, and even turn on showers at night. Yeah, I, I'd be down with a ghost that yeah, sings in the kitchen. Just one that is a little bit of a menace. Yeah. Not like terrorizing students. I feel like if I were a ghost, I'd be the same way, like just yeah. doing random. I'm just kind of like have fun. Yeah. I would join a Me too. <laughs> DWB Step from Reddit said, I lived in a quad in Crawford Hall my freshman year. One night I woke up to tapping on my chest. I assumed it was one of my roommates, so I said something along the lines of, F off. Then the tapping just got harder. So I looked up from my bed and I see a girl walking away from my bed, walk over to my closet and walk in. I walked over to the closet and opened the door and nobody was in there. Needless to say, I slept on my friend's couch in another dorm that night. Okay, that just freaked me out a little bit and I didn't realize this when I first read it, but at Bobcat Student Orientation, when I was with um, my roommate Lauren, when I got up to go to the bathroom randomly in the night, she thought that I went in, my, in our closet. Maybe she saw the... Maybe. Ghost. And it, Lauren's going to be listening right now, and she's going to be like, oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, that's weird. I just put that together, that she saw she saw someone go in our closet, and she was completely weirded out. She said yeah. she was texting everyone, and that was like our first time we were together yeah. in a dorm, and that Not was her experience. Not a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a crazy person yeah. to her, and yeah, we, we've talked it out and we know yeah. that i'm not insane yeah. not, but, not mm. the closet 
occupier. Yeah. Someone yeah. is, though. In the night. Yeah, someone is. And maybe that's who she saw. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am the ghost. <laughs> Chelsea from Reddit said, I swear my roommate and I saw a ghost in Bromley Hall. We were exploring the basement at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night and found a door that was supposed to be locked, cracked open. The door led to a stairway downstairs. We went down and found a room with all the lights on and a ghostly looking figure float from one side of the room to the other and disappear. We both looked at each other for a split second and bolted, never exploring the basement again. Those are all my Reddit stories Mm -hmm. and super interesting very skeptical i like having someone who's a skeptical Mm -hmm. or who's very skeptical and then someone like me who believes 100 percent in the paranormal but i mean being on an old campus i can understand almost like wanting it to be haunted in a sense yeah it could just be the vibes here but i appreciate it cycling a little bit back to the ridges i didn't include any specific stories about hauntings but you do have a lot of your like typical kind of this location is haunted stories of like doors opening yeah people feeling like wind sounds that like are unexplained there are a few that are just like i don't know if they're founded on any kind of evidence at all but one of them is apparently in one of the men's bathrooms there's like a tall cloaked figure that people have seen and i saw another one apparently there was a room where patients were chained Again, I did not see any evidence of this, so this is completely unfounded, but people will report hearing like chains clinging against each other, so I don't know the validity of that. But going to a place like the Ridges with the intention of like, I want to encounter a ghost might alter your perception of things. Very but true. But I understand it. I think it's fun. It's yeah. as long as it's harmless. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, so I think that's it for this week's episode. It's close to home, and I hope everyone enjoyed, because I enjoyed learning about the ridges. I mean, I you know, I know my standard information about it, but now that I know the history of it, I want to go up and visit again. Yeah, I hope you guys go to the ridges, yeah, and knowing the history of it makes you feel a little bit more cultured. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and now I'm going to wow all my friends with my richest knowledge anyways thanks for listening next week i'm gonna be taking the reins a bit and talking about the history of folklore mythology fairy tales all of that kind of stuff i'm really excited me too Um, thanks for listening thank you so much for listening